Hi, I'm Adam Sanford. I'm an academic life coach and professor in Los Angeles. And I'm Dinur Bloom. I'm a college professor in Los Angeles. And this is Learning Made Easier, a podcast where we discuss how we learn and how we teach and how they overlap. Welcome back to Learning Made Easier. You're listening to our Teaching in Transition episodes, which outline how teaching has changed and has had to change as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. This podcast is about effective learning and effective teaching, and now we all have to do this with a new wrinkle provided by COVID-19, the novel coronavirus, which is sweeping the world in a pandemic, the likes of which we have not seen since AIDS, polio, and the 1918 Spanish flu. We were calling these the COVID-19 special episodes until it became evident we were mainly talking to teachers about how our lives have changed. In these episodes, we will unpack some of the major issues teachers are facing due to the changes required by the pandemic, as well as ways to deal with these issues. And this is our 21st episode in the series, How to Work Around It When Your Institution Requires Synchronous Teaching. When your institution demands that you hold video conference lectures at the same time as you would have met in person, things can get really tricky. Many of the stressors faculty face about video conferencing fall into three groups, privacy issues, connectivity issues, and student engagement. All three of these get worse and impact more students when we have to hold live real-time course sessions. However, remembering that what you do in a regular in-person class is not always lecture can really help here. So what's a professor to do when their institution demands live video? The first part we wanted to talk about is privacy issues. And these are things we discussed in episode 20. Many of our students are in situations where having to expose their home life to their teachers and to their classmates is not an equitable situation. As well, Many of our students may not be in a position where exposing their home life to their teachers and classmates is ideal. Now, some of the ways that you can work around this, have everyone check in on video for attendance at the beginning of class and then allow the students to shut off their cameras. Another thing you can do is have students put up an avatar, a selfie or other picture to reduce the feeling you're having of talking to a wall of black boxes. A third thing is use the chat to take attendance or use a cell phone app like Socrative to take attendance. Fourth, allow students to phone into the meeting instead of using video at all. For many of them, video is also a huge bandwidth hog. Okay, so if you reduce that, that helps. And don't live record the lectures you're giving because this makes it really difficult for students who may get caught in the recording and have no interest in being there when their classmates are watching it later. Instead, pre-record your lectures and then play them using screen share for the students or have them watch the lectures before they come to your real-time meeting and bring their comments and their questions and so forth so that the video conference becomes a discussion of their questions rather than just you trying to give them information. If you are live lecturing and you're using Zoom, share the screen and then minimize the chat window because that way you're looking at the same screen, you're looking at the slides at the same time that your students are, and that way you're not looking at how many black boxes are there, and it's a way of protecting student privacy. And this might be if you do decide to record some of the live lectures, this way you preserve that privacy. 
Uh, if we're talking about connectivity issues, don't penalize students for these problems. They're not the internet equivalent of the dog ate my homework. These are actual problems that many people, including some professors, run into regularly. Ask us how we know. Mm-hmm. Recognize that video is a huge bandwidth hog. So whenever possible, have most of the class shut off their cameras to reduce the bandwidth load. Ask students to do speaker view so their computer is not trying to process 30 or 40 or 50 screens on a screen. And have a workaround ready. For example, let students call into the class meeting as if it were a conference call on their phones. Most video conferencing programs have this option. Always have anything visual available outside of the video meeting. Put your slides or videos up on your class LMS page, your learning management system. Now, finally, when it comes to engagement, the first thing you got to know is engagement looks different in an online environment. Expecting students to look at the camera all the time does not actually help them learn. K-12 teachers, I'm looking at you. All it does is stress them out. And for teachers who are used to the performative aspect of teaching, that idea of you're up on the stage and you're giving them all this wonderful information and making them laugh or making them smile or making them think or making them frown, learning how to engage students without the crosstalk and without those nonverbal reactions, yeah, that may be a stretch, but unfortunately, it's still necessary. Don't try to make this, we're reproducing the in-person class online. That's a recipe for failure. Communication is key. Ask students regularly what they think, what problems they might be having, what help they need from you. Many students are really anxious about asking for help, and unless prompted, they won't ask. So prompt them. Build in three-minute quiet reflections. Have students all enter their answers into chat and wait for you to say go before they send their answers. That way, the students will see other students' responses as well as their own, which increases a feeling of groupness and hopefully engagement. In addition to this, have your students type their responses in the chat area of the program that you're using, or have them respond using a Google form that you've set up, or a quiz on Socrative that you've set up beforehand, so that they're not sitting there going, oh my god, everybody's looking at what I say. Or, in the case of what Denor said, type up your answer and wait to hit send until I say go. Then when they hit send, everybody is sending them. So it's not like they're just the one lone voice who happens to be sticking their hand up, or in this case, putting a response in the chat. It helps buffer that feeling of everybody's looking at me, which is really exacerbated by video chat. Another thing to do is your lessons. Make them short and hard hitting. Gone should be the 45 minute to an hour lectures that you are used to. Get used to giving a 10 minute lecture about one specific thing, not a longer lecture trying to cover four or five major points. And also make these lectures recorded so that students can watch them on their own time. And again, come to class to talk about what they learned instead of having to learn it for the first time. Tie the lesson to the student's physical environment. If you're learning how to calculate volume, have students pick containers in their home, do measurements, and report results. If you're learning about social norms, have students identify one their family lives by and explain what kind of norm it is, and so on. Make your curriculum a lot more flexible. Use contract grading 
which allows students to pick from several different assignments instead of all having to do the same kind. One student may opt to write a two-page reaction paper, while another records a three-minute explanatory video. Find creative ways to add flexibility into the content, and the students will become more engaged. Encourage collaborative work during your video sessions. Breakout rooms are great for this. Give a short lecture, divide the class into several breakout rooms, give them five minutes or so, and then have them report back on a question or a problem that they worked on in the breakout room. Think of this as similar to having students in a physical classroom get together to work on a worksheet or a quick problem set and then come back and talk about what they learned. And finally, get feedback from your students. Send out a poll every few weeks and ask just three questions. What's working? What could be done better or differently? And finally, what do you want me to know about your experience in this class? You'll get great feedback on how the student is experiencing the class. And remember, it feels great to be asked, what do you think about something? It's going to make the students feel included, and that increases engagement as well. So what I tend to do is I make my class meetings and their days optional. So if a student can't make it for whatever reason, there's no penalty. Now, I'll still meet with the students who can make it during that time. We'll cover new material. So I will lecture on camera unless I've got something that's pre-recorded. But even if it's pre-recorded, we'll work through that material live because some students do want that structure. They appreciate it. But if they can't make it, they're not penalized. I post all of the videos of the lectures to their course LMS page. So that way, if a student misses class or their internet drops out, they can figure out where in the lecture they were, maybe by slide, and then kind of go to that point and then listen to what they missed. I have my students email me questions or comments about the material. I'll post discussion board questions so that students who can't make the real-time lecture can still participate. They can engage with course material. Now, most of my engagement has been students responding within the Zoom chat window. Most aren't going verbal, but I still record it and I count it the same as if we were in class or if they had spoken up on microphone. If your school asks you for attendance, usually they'll ask you maybe for per class or per week, then make your discussion board responses due by a certain day and time that allows you to track who participated in the, in the class, but it still offers students a little bit of flexibility. And during this pandemic, I think we should really be considerate and trying to build flexibility in as much as we can, because that's also going to reduce our stress. Fewer due dates, fewer things set in stone means fewer rules that we have to worry about, and that's one less headache. Not just for us, but for our students. Now, I'm fortunate enough to be in, in a university system, and so is Denor, where we have a choice about whether we're going to do our classes synchronously or asynchronously. And I know if I had to do my classes synchronously, I would probably be half dead at the end of the week. But I know that many others have no choice about it, and I sympathize. So if you have to hold video lectures, that still doesn't mean you have to lecture during the video, or at least not the entire time. You can flip your classrooms so that what happens in the video meeting can be group work or prepping for the exam or other interactive stuff that goes beyond just sitting and taking notes for the students and talking yourself hoarse for the teacher. Like Denor said, find a way to take attendance, but also reclaim what's happening in the classroom as your time. You have the right to arrange the class in a way that works for you and a way that works for your students. 
Again, we've recommended in several episodes how to manage this ethically. Ethical decisions should always prioritize the safety and privacy of our students, as well as compassion for their situation. The lack of a private area to learn in, or the lack of a quiet area to learn in, or the lack of a good internet or up-to-date technology for them. If we keep these things in mind, we can work around them and work with our students to mitigate these problems. It's kind of like doing universal design for learning, which is intended to make sure that disabled students don't have a problem with your class. This is also a universal design for learning thing, isn't it? If we take the principle that we're going to do compassionate teaching, that changes everything. And it, we need to get away, I will say, we need to get away from the idea that we have to make sure that the students deserve what they're getting. They're taking our class. By definition, they deserve us giving them compassion. They deserve us being flexible about the rules, especially right now. And maybe not even only during the pandemic, but as a practice, maybe we need to be looking at how am I compassionate to my students? How am I making sure that I'm creating the best learning environment? Rigor doesn't have to mean rigidity, remember. Now, one of the recent publications that Denor and I and our friend Stacy Smith contributed to talked about process-oriented people versus outcome-oriented people. And our chapter in this upcoming book, it discussed it mainly in the context of bureaucracy, but it goes beyond bureaucracy. Process-oriented people tend to be really, really tied to the idea that if you keep the procedures the same, the outcomes will be similar. But their priority is the procedures. Outcome-oriented people, on the other hand, focus on finding ways to create similar outcomes when the procedures don't work or even when they fail. And the piece we wrote pointed out that when the environment changes, process-oriented people have a really tough time adjusting because their processes, the way they do things, that's all tied to the environment staying the same because that environment is where those procedures were built. It's where they were created. But the online environment is not the same as the classroom environment. Trying to shoehorn classroom procedures into an online environment is really, like I said earlier, it's a recipe for failure. Some of your administrators may be process-oriented while you're more outcome-oriented and thus really frustrated. Or you may be a process-oriented person who just feels completely derailed by the loss of your procedures that used to work and don't anymore. So our main recommendation here, don't just focus on your students' needs, but also focus on your own and work toward focusing more on the outcomes you want rather than the procedures you wish you could still follow that no longer work. Even if your administrators continue to insist on synchronous teaching and a live roll call for attendance, there are ways to adjust around it to preserve your and your students' sanity and peace of mind. So that's what we have for you in this Teaching in Transition episode of Learning Made Easier. Please send this to other professionals and students who may be facing these issues. The easiest link to share is probably our Patreon, patreon.com slash learning made easier. If you're able to support us right now, we would really appreciate it. Please join us next time for our next Teaching in Transition episode 22, where we'll start our new series, Skills Students Need to Succeed in Online Classes and How Teachers Can Help Students Acquire Them. And we'll see you next time. You've been listening to Learning Made Easier, a podcast about how we learn, how we teach, and how they overlap. We want to say thank you to all of our supporters on Patreon who make this podcast possible. 
If you want to support us, please go to www.patreon.com slash learning made easier. We look forward to seeing you next week.